Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm the Memphis Metropolis host, Emily Trenum. And today we're visiting a topic that is, I won't say it's near and dear to my heart. It's really more of an irritant than anything else. But, you know, Memphis Metropolis is really about Memphis as a place. And there's nothing that can really change your perception of a place and spoil it in a lot of ways than litter. So today I invited one of the, a notable local expert on litter to be my guest on Memphis Metropolis, and that's Janet Boscarino, who's the founder and executive director of Clean Memphis. So Janet, welcome to Memphis Metropolis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Janet, I remember when we first met, you heard me tell this story. You were, I think, still working in mortgage banking, and someone connected us, and you, we went to lunch, and you told me about your vision for Green Memphis. And, you know, I just, I was like, you know, she's a really, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, she's a really nice lady, but this is, <laughs> this is this is never going to happen. It's just, it's too big a problem. And um, she means well, but that's just well. And of course, um, defying all my expectations by a thousand fold. Um, Clean Memphis is going strong. It's brought, you know, broadened out to a whole bunch of different areas. And so, so anyway, um, I should have introduced you more auspiciously, but I'm interested in hearing from you why you um, why you started the organization and, yeah. wh- and when. Yeah. Okay. So we're actually in our 15th year. So we started in 2008, and I you're right. I was in mortgage banking for 20 years, and um, had was traveling a lot. And I remember being in Minneapolis for a conference. And um, I guess what struck me is it felt like that the downtown was very clean, very manicured, and it seemed very intentional, uh, very much like there was a lot of effort and attention to detail in how it looked. And um, and when I, when I got home, and it's not something that I hadn't been noticing, um, it felt like to me that um, sort of the bar of maintenance and the way we were maintaining our city had was dropping. It was just lowering. And it was a kind of a, a decline. And I'd certainly always heard about Memphis being a clean city. Um, but it just seemed that there is a decline. And I was very curious about that. And I wasn't alone. I, I am a founder of Clean Memphis, but I did that with other you know people, my neighbor, Darren, and Mark, who he was working for, where I always say it was a concerned group of citizens trying to figure out what is going on and is there a place for us to to help in some way. And so that's sort of the impetus behind getting going. 
And what, uh, you know, what I found out through meeting people like you and other people and through all this, all of these years of work is it is a very complicated and complex issue uh, with a variety of, uh, of inputs and a variety of things, strategies that you need to address to try to make any movement on it. Um, but yes, that, that was sort of the impetus. How could we do better? How could we create a space where everyone could be part of a solution and we could look at a system that could be better? So before we talk about some, I do want to talk about the, you know, the, the, the complicating factors and then as well as some solutions and strategies. But before we do that, let's just give me a little bit, tell me a little bit more about Clean Methods Today and your different programs because um, you're still in that space, but you've gotten into a lot of different areas and mm-hmm. including um, food. And I just think it'd be interesting for people. We're not going to talk about all those today in any length, sure. but I like. Yeah. I think people would like to hear about the different ways Clean Methods works in the community. Sure. So it wasn't long and we started started off by really engaging communities around organizing cleanup projects, because literally when you when you first get into that work, litter is visible on the ground and your first inclination is to get it up. And how are we organizing communities around doing that, giving them supplies and resources and getting just generally people interested in cleaning up the city? And we spend a lot of time there. Um, We're very good connectors. So we would you know, we work with communities and then we connect them with schools in their area, businesses in their area to try to form these, you know, kind of teams of people that have been interested in improving the overall cleanliness of their communities. It wasn't long, though, that we figured and understood uh, that education and awareness was a very, very big part of what needed to happen. And so, um, you know, we dabbled in education a little bit, but about seven years ago, we launched a full-fledged uh, environmental education program uh, targeting young people because uh, litter can become something that is a habit uh, and a lack of awareness. And so the the earlier at an early age, if you can sort of ingrain uh, the appropriate behavior in, uh, we wanted to target that and felt like that would be an investment in the future. So I would say now we have three full time certified teachers on staff. Uh, that work with over 10,000 students annually. And, and it's a very in-depth program of, uh, you know, all tied to science standards and looking at environment, the implications of litter and pollution and a variety of things. So that's a very robust program for us. Um, and uh, because of that, we looked, you know, the, the research shows that litter is part of a broader solid waste issue. You, if you're just looking at it as something that hits the ground, you're missing the point of where it's coming from. Most of it's single use food and beverage packaging. And so we begin to look at that more broadly. And through that work, we've uh, really been working in our community space about not just organizing cleanups, but how do we bring awareness to the fact that we are producing an enormous amount of waste uh, we're not recycling very much at all. And that le- you know, litter is leakage from that broken solid waste system. So our community outreach looks a lot different now. We have a, um, you know, a toolkit and we're coaching communities on how to organize cleanups, how to connect with other people. But we're also offering a community classroom where we're teaching them about waste reduction, uh, recycling, food waste, composting, everything related to waste in general to just promote more environmental sustainability. 
Um, and then, yes, we uh, in 2015, I believe, uh, Margo McNeely, who ran Project Green Fork, uh, approached us about taking Project Green Fork under our umbrella based on the work we were doing around environmental sustainability in schools. And, and so we did bring that under our umbrella. And that is the program area where we are looking at food waste. Um, and that's essentially what you have with the issue of food waste. Again, all of this under the problem of waste is that 40% of the food that's grown in the U.S. every year is wasted, while one in four people in Shelby County are food insecure. So we're, we're working on a variety of source reduction, extreme, uh, expanding food donation, and expanding composting in that space. So those are sort of the three big buckets. Uh, I personally work more around engaging city and county leadership and the business community to try to help them look at setting more zero waste goals and looking at this problem more holistically that we've got to address waste if we're going to address litter. So you touched on this a little bit, but um, I think of, as I sort of said at the top of the show, I think of litter mainly, um, you know, just in terms of its presence on streets, in neighborhoods, really the visual impact of litter. And of course, there's the disparities. You know, some, um, you know, neighborhoods, the more privileged ones have less litter, generalizing than some of the other areas. And, but what, but that's, that's my pet peeve. But as you sort of alluded to, litter as part of solid waste, there's a lot of other impacts besides Mm -hmm. being, just ugly and unattractive. So what are some of those other impacts besides the visual one? Sure. You know, and I think this is true, whether you're talking about litter or all forms of waste in general, there's always an environmental issue. Uh, there's an economic issue and there's a, so the social implications. And so environmentally, when we have the presence of litter in neighborhoods, one, two, one of two things where both things happen. One, uh, the litter is getting washed into storm drains and, you know, our, our storm drain system and our uh, is separated. We have sewer that's in one in one area, but our storm drains flow directly to a water source. And so uh, all of the litter uh, is uh, washed into storm drains and ends up in our river and, and ocean. Uh, if it's on uh, land or lots, it's it's degrading into that and into the soil. So you're polluting the soil. If you're deciding to have a garden or something, you know, you're, you're automatically polluting the soil. It's going into our rivers and streams. And in fact, uh, once that particularly plastic, when it, once it gets there, it's breaking down to microplastics. And a couple of things are happening there. You know, I, I think a recent study or evaluation of the Tennessee River had so much microplastics in it that it's one of the most polluted rivers in the world. And so all that's coming, a lot of that is coming from just neighborhood and roadway litter being washed uh, into the storm drain and down in that system. So you have these large environmental. It's hard for people to focus sometimes on the long term things. Like, how is this impacting something much greater than me? But when you think about that, um, you have to think of something called bioaccumulation. When the plastics okay, enter the I'm ocean. I'm going to ring my jargon bell. Uh, jargon yes. bell. <laughs> Can I define it? Will that yes. help? What I mean by that is that when the plastic enters the, the ocean and it breaks down into the microplastics, fish eat it, another fish eats that fish, and another fish eats that fish, and then it becomes the fish that's on your table. And so it's accumulating through all of these life forms into you. And in fact, a lot of research is showing how animals and humans now have microplastics in them. So 
the environmental implications are broad. And even if you think it's out of sight, out of mind, it does come back to you. So I hope that defines bioaccumulation. Sorry for the jargon. <laughs> that's all right. So there, that's the environmental piece. The economic piece is that it's truly expensive. I, uh, t- the last number that I looked at for Tennessee Department of Transportation, they're spending over $14 million a year picking up litter on roadway, you know, state roads and interstate system. And I know in Memphis and Shelby County, we're spending over $3 million to do that. And arguably not enough because there's still a lot of litter everywhere. You can't, it's almost like you can't out pick up people that are throwing it down. And so there's the economic piece. And then, you know, the social implications are, it's a, uh, it, you know, I, I know our teachers, when we go into do programming and under-resourced communities, they have, they come away feeling sad if there is a school in an area where there's overgrown lots and blighted property and litter everywhere. There's definitely a negative psychological component Absolutely. to that. Yeah. And it, it just lends to other social safety, mental health issues. So it, it, it is ugly and, and uh, you know, that piece, but it has much broader implications. So, yeah, I can, I mean, it is, it's depressing to ha- have litter, to see litter and, um, and it, and it, comes back so often that you don't even feel incentivized to pick it up. I mean, we hear that from volunteers. It's like, you know, what's the point? It's going to be back there. But there is a there is definitely a, a statistic that that litter begets litter. So if there is a presence of litter there, people are more inclined to litter. So, you know, as difficult as it is, we still have to maintain a, a, a rigid and robust effort to try to keep litter off the Of ground. course. I wasn't suggesting otherwise. Yeah, but, it's, but you're right. It is frustrating, and people do get very burnt out. Well, and so let's talk about, you know, b- behavior for, mm-hmm. um, for a minute because, um, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, our society generates a lot of trash. You know, stuff blows off the back of trucks. You know, garbage cans, the lid comes off. I mean, that is a factor. But um, but people, individuals, make decisions every day to litter. I mean, we've always been, we've driven by the car that opens the window and throws their lunch bag out. We've st- we've right. stood on the street and saw someone littering, and and you're thinking to yourself, "Do you not see that trash can right over there in earshot?" Yeah. Um, so, why do people litter? Why do they do it? Do people not yeah. know better? Well, I think it's not a, it's not an easy thing to answer, and there's been so much research around this about attitudes for. Uh, littering behavior. I think Keep America Beautiful did a study in 2009 that looked at, you know, the average litter bug age was a guy that was between 15 and 28. Now that's changed in a recent study that it's a it's a woman now and she doesn't want fast food packaging in her car because she doesn't want the smell. So I think it's a very challenging thing to get at. Uh, I do think there's an education piece that people just don't understand the implications of putting things out. Uh, so education and awareness. I do think there's apathy, and that is that is the hardest thing to get through. The, the interesting thing about the Keep America Beautiful study and a study that TDOT, or Tennessee Department of Transportation, did in 2020, is that their numbers look at seven over 70% of litter is actually negligence. So it's a, a lower number that's actually intentional, but the higher number or the, the biggest proportion of litter is actually negligence, which is coming from overflowing trash cans, not you know, trucks that aren't tarped, 
Um, you know, you're stacking more trash outside your bin and it blows around. So all of these things are contributing. Uh, but there are certainly um, there are certainly people intentionally littering. And that is a very tough, uh, tough thing to crack, which, again, I, I think it is very hard to change behavior at an adult level. I mean, I, I kind of go back to you have these campaign anti-litter campaigns. I think it's hard. I mean, I think when we looked in the pandemic, it was hard to get people to put a mask on and take a, you know, get vaccinated in a life or death, clearly life or death situation. So campaigns to address adults to stop littering is that's a that's a tough one. I almost question their. Well, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, there were campaigns about not being a litter bug and um, and there's billboard campaigns now about not littering and um but yet there seems to be more litter than ever so i just it's a it's a um yeah it's a source i have to admit it's a source of frustration um when you actually see people when you actually see people littering but the well it is i think there's one thing too i wanted to mention that is that i think we have to consider and that is i just saw something the other day that that uh, about how there are, um, gosh, it was thirty over 30,000 new consumer packaging products created every year in the U.S. So you've had, you know, when we were younger, you had maybe, you just didn't have packaging the way you have now. You didn't have as much fast food. I mean, when we do litter pickup, we're primarily, there's cigarette butts and everything, almost everything else is fast food or, or single-use food and beverage packaging. So there's been that explosion of all that. So you have like this mass increase in all those materials coupled with some behavior issues and you have sort of what we have. Right well, yeah, actually, that's an excellent point. I mean, you're right. When I was a kid, if you went to fast food, the hamburger and the fries were all in little, they were all in little paper bags. So yeah, so your litter was a, maybe a big paper bag, a couple little paper bags and some napkins. There wasn't yep. styrofoam. There wasn't the plastic straw and the plastic lid on the styrofoam. And like you said, right. and there wasn't the proliferation of all the single-use food packaging. Um, the I'm sounding like a curmudgeon here, but, you know, back, back in my day. <laughs> back in my back day. Back in my day, we didn't have all, <laughs> it's true, though, Emily. Didn't have all that. Commun- you had to open the big bag of chips and take out what you wanted and close it up. <laughs> it is true, though. It is very true. And, but I, there, there is a movement in circular economy, which is another jargony word but or term, but to put pressure on people who make products to create packaging that is more environmentally friendly. So that is not lost on, uh, there is conversation around that other countries do a better job of that than us, but there's, there is a, um, there is legislation moving around the country, particularly getting some traction in in areas that are a little bit more progressive in that way uh, about looking at packaging and making it more environmentally. Well, and isn't the, um, isn't the, ban on plastic bags a lot of places the plastic grocery bags isn't that in part a response to the their littering impact oh absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and you 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 know there are other material bans out there like styrofoam things that are going you know if paper hits the ground it's ugly but it's going to go away pretty quickly uh, but if styrofoam plastic bags those things are going to be there and they're very hard to recycle so um yeah 
I think some of those material bans are are definitely. And, and I would say, I, I think in some areas they've tried to do a tax on uh, plastic bags, and that has not been. It's been successful in raising additional money, but not very successful in actually eliminating them as well. Okay, that's interesting. And also, you could say that penalizes people who mm-hmm. um, who don't necessarily. Um, you have the ability to pay for a bag or I, I, I get right. that. So um, so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're talking to Janet Boscarino, who's the executive director of Clean Memphis. And we're talking about litter. So, Janet, the um, you know, we've, t- we've talked sort of um, throughout this conversation about some strategies, you know, some like st- Prevention strategies, um, you know, your program in schools, you know, the the community education that's been going on since I was a kid, um, you know, public, really public service campaigns. Um, there's the, you know, the work on the back end, you know, not just government, but also, um, you know, people cleaning up, doing cleanups. So what's, um, are both of those, I mean... Our, I guess the bigger question is: Are we are we making a dent um, in it? Do you feel like? And then what's what's most effective? I don't know if you if you there's a measurement at all, but um, right. what do you think works? So I guess I'll take the first thing. Do we think we're being effective? I, I, the, the the Keep America Beautiful study between 2009 and 2020 did show a reduction in litter across the country. Um, however, I think something happened in 2020 with the pandemic where uh, behaviors have changed across the board and we're seeing an uptick in a lot of things that are undesirable behaviors and litter behavior is one of those. Um, so I, I do think there are four things that have to occur and they have to be at a very high level. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes. Uh, and that is the education has to be widespread and consistent. Uh, there shouldn't be a, you know, a kindergarten through fifth grade student that is not immersed in almost this as a, a part of their IQ. Now I've talked about an environmental IQ before, and I think it's important. You have a literacy standard, you have, you know, you need to know these certain things. You also need to know how to interact with your environment in a positive way. So I think that that's very important. The other thing is enforcement. And that's a hard thing that has to come from city, county, you know, ordinances in place. Um, if, if you have 70% of your litter coming from negligence because of tarping issues, then the only way that you're solving that is by enforcing those tarping issues. So how a little bit more thought and strategy around that. There's also significant research to show that we need appropriate infrastructure. So people are only going to walk so far if there's not a trash can and they will end up dropping something on the ground. And I don't think that there's sufficient infrastructure in place to support that. And then the other thing is community engagement. And for me, the two things that I can work on are education and community engagement. So that's where we put our energy. I do think um, that has to be done. For us now, I think where we're seeing uh, more success is if we do that in a very neighborhood focused way, where we're working on helping the community organize within their geographic boundary, we're doing the community classroom and bringing education and awareness to waste reduction and all those things. and it's a very focused and we're working on what are the, what's the messaging that resonates with you? Uh, because it's different. You know, when I, we were talking about the storm drain issue earlier about litter going down the storm drain 
uh, we were in a community meeting not too long ago, and uh, one of the residents said, it's really hard for me to get as concerned about that particular issue, but I am more concerned about the issue that my street floods if the storm drains, if the storm drains clogged. And I've got, there's our entry point. So I think part of it is figuring out what resonates with people. What What is it that really gets their attention and then focus on that and then you can build out. Uh, but, you know, it, it is hard not to get discouraged sometimes uh, because uh, because litter being of the litter being everywhere. But I am very encouraged by the, the students that we're working with. And I, I'll tell you now, you know, during the pandemic from really from 2020 to 2022, there was not a lot of cleanup effort going on. People didn't want to do that. They were concerned about getting out and gathering. But we have more people coming back out now, corporate teams, neighborhood groups. Our phone is just super busy with people reaching out, wanting to get back out there and kind of roll their sleeves up and take their communities back. So I am encouraged by that. Uh, I think people are feeling kind of enough is enough out there and really wanted to do something about it. So um, so you sort of mentioned you know, things you have, you clean Memphis can, um, where you can have intervene um, in places where you don't really have any. So talk a little bit about the role of government because I mean, people, you know, people want to blame the government. Um, I mean, you see that all the time on, you know, social media. You know, the government, you know, isn't coming by our streets a mess. The government's not coming by. And, of course, they don't have the resources to, um, except I I think from talking to you on the main corridors, um, you know, they're able to do street, street sweeping and pick up some litter that way. They can't do that on all the streets. I mean, but I see it. I guess now that we've been talking today, actually, I would have said, you know, don't blame government, blame your, look at yourself, look in the mirror. But now that you're telling me that 70% is, um, or only 30% is intentional um, and 70% is not, now I'm thinking, well, maybe the government does need to do more. I mean, what do you think? And then what, and what policy changes do you want to see that you think would help reduce waste, you know, solid waste and particularly litter. Yeah. So I think to be, to be clear about the 70, 30 split there, I think that was looking at roadway litter, which, you know, you're talking about interstate systems, state highways. And so I think when we get inside neighborhoods, that's probably a little different scenario. I would imagine your, you know, those numbers get a little bit more balanced out when you're inside a neighborhood. They're not trucks rolling through there, blowing things out the way they would be on a major thoroughfare. So I, I, I would say that both need to be accountable, right? We're individuals. We need to take care of our piece of the earth and our community. Uh, and we try to emphasize that a lot because in, in some community meetings, we do have people that will say there is litter over here on this side street and I need you to come get it. And it's not really a public right away. So it's more of a, hey, we should organize a community cleanup to do that. But when it comes to government, I do think, you know, their major uh, focus should be on uh, public right of ways. And so how are we maintaining those at the highest possible level with litter abatement and mowing? You know, I know TDOT, I think they have an allocation of about $3 million a year annually to Memphis and Shelby County for the interstate system. And that that $3 million includes mowing, litter pickup and potholes. And doesn't feel like that's a lot of money, honestly, to me, to get that done on a real efficient way, in a real efficient way. 
Uh, and then the city, of course, comes in and, and does, they have street sweeping, they do their public right-of-ways and, and non-state streets. And I, they're spending several million dollars a year doing litter pickup. And so it's it's a very, I think what happens sometimes is, um, particularly on the solid waste side, one of the things I think that's contributing to the neighborhood litter is we have a policy where people can put um debris outside the cart, right? You've got a couple days a month where you can put uh, bulk debris outside. Well, what's happening for solid waste is that we, along with that sort of policy, we as individuals are, you know, there's been a 300% increase in our production of waste. We order from Amazon and all these places. We have all this waste. They can't keep up. I mean, they get their trucks out about a quarter into the route. They're already full. They've got to go back. So then they're getting behind. The stuff sits out on the street longer. It blows around and contributes to litter. So I think from a, a policy standpoint, uh, there's been a lot of conversation about doing away with outside the cart and moving to some other. I know they, you know, the city just opened a convenience center over on Collins and Binghampton where people can come and bring things, large bulk debris for free. And I know they're exploring adding those convenience centers at other places and putting a little bit more impetus on people to bring bulk waste and drop it off rather than putting it out on a curb where really, you know, that and illegal set outs have really contributed to a lot of the way communities look in terms of uh, waste. And, and it just it sits there and it blows around and it contributes to the negative overall impact for the community. So by illegal set ups, you mean when someone is evicted from their home? Right. And mm-hmm. and the the landlord or the evicting the evictor doesn't um, is supposed to haul away all of the everything that's taken out of the home and that doesn't happen a lot of times. A lot of times. Okay. Right. Okay. Yes. Just wanted to make sure. So um, and what about more trash cans? I realize we're getting granular here, but you're absolutely right. Um, if there were more trash cans, especially outside of the you know, the downtown dense area, mm-hmm. I think there would, that would help. I think it would. I mean, that's what the research shows. And, and um, Memphis City Beautiful, a division of public works for the city, they do have an adopted trash can. They got a, received a grant uh, where they can, uh, a neighborhoods can apply for them and they will install them. And I think there's some, you know, neighborhood insignia on it and the neighbor just, neighborhood just has to adopt it. Uh, which means maintaining it, keeping it emptied and that kind of thing. And I think they've done pretty well with that program, but it probably needs to be expanded and funded. And you've just got to make sure that your neighborhoods are on top of it. But there, there is a significant amount of data that shows if there is a, a the presence of a receptacle, it is more, you know, more inclined people will use it. I didn't even know about that. I would adopt a trash can. Yeah, you can do it. You can call City Beautiful. And I, I don't know where they are in that process. And the other thing that they're looking at, and I think would be great, there used to be an Adopt-A-Block program, I think that was at, out of a different division. And I think they're looking at relaunching it, but really doing more just an Adopt-A-Street. A block is a lot, but a street and just, just more engagement. I, you know, I, I think what I, one thing I've noticed over the years in working with communities is something we always refer to it as the same six people syndrome. And it just you they're exhausted and we need more people and expand out to have more people involved. So you have more shared responsibility. Well, And those same six people are now 90. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, we know them. (laughs) And they're really back in my day. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you meet them, they talk about how Memphis 
invariably they will talk about how Memphis won the cl- cleanest city in the in the U.S. award. <laughs> I've heard that year after year in the 50s and 60s. I've heard yes, that story absolutely. so many times. I have. And I, I feel for, uh, you know, Eldra White that runs Memphis City Beautiful. She's heard it a thousand times, too. And I know it's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, what's interesting about that is is the story about how that really went down with scrapbooks and all this other you know, it was not like someone came and said, oh, this is the clean right. city and here's your award. But I think what's important is that as a city, we took pride in that yes. and we lived it. And so I think that's sort of the essence of what we've lost in that sort of uh, civic pride and living up to our reputation. Well, I agree. It wasn't like a, a, it was a contest of some kind, but yeah, it wasn't some kind of yeah. annual award that Memphis got the blue ribbon. It was a little more... Um, qualitative research and not quantitative. but <laughs> I but I agree with you people talk about that because All they the were time. proud of it so I guess um to sort of you know bring a lot of these conversational strings together um clean Memphis has a number of programs that are specifically you know focused on litter or litter and litter adjacent um and yeah. so tell me a little bit about those Sure. So as I mentioned, um, you know, we're the, the community classroom is a big focus on that waste in general, but specifically how litter plays out in your community. We have a new tool that we're using and, and it's really kind of fun. It's called Literati. And Literati is a free app that anyone can use. Uh, we bought the Memphis license for it so that we could use it as an engagement tool, but also as a way to co- connect, d- collect data. So uh, what Literati does is you use it when you are out doing litter pickup and you photograph the litter that you're collecting. And it uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to identify the litter by material type. It's plastic or aluminum or styrofoam, whatever, uh, by brand, if you can capture that. It uh, geolocates it and it timestamps it. And then it rolls to a dashboard for us where we can look at in a neighborhood where their litter hotspots are and what the composition of litter is. And so if you do that a few times, you can start to see a little bit of a trend or a pattern that you tend to have litter around this area. And this is the type of litter it is. So the idea is that it can inform messaging and intervention strategies. So something that gives you data to drive some of the decisions you may may make. Uh, rather than just continuously picking up litter and saying litter is bad, we shouldn't litter, we're trying to have a little bit more granular data uh, and drive more refined solutions. And what um, what have yeah. you learned from that f- so far? So, yeah, so A, it's a very good engagement. It's like um, a gamification of litter pickup. So people do like it and get involved. Uh, so that's been good for us. Uh, we've learned that there is, um, you know, there's significant amount of food and beverage packaging. You know, I think we were at one location in the neighborhood and we were, we identified um, there were uh, lottery scratch off tickets, millions of them. And it's like, oh, they're coming from the corner store. And so how can we work with the store to maybe put some signage or put a trash receptacle out, something that could uh, directly connect with that type of litter in a way uh, that might maybe be a solution to to reduce that. So we're in the beginning stages. We're about to work with a, a group, a neighborhood group in Binghampton on a specific project using Literati. So I'm kind of excited 
to get going on that. Is that the same as your work with Binghampton Development Corporation? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so talk about that. Yeah. So we've been working with Binghampton Development Corporation on a couple of things, really more related to waste uh, and circular economy. And again, on the circular economy piece, you're looking at how can we reduce the amount of waste that's being produced, but then how can we take other waste and, and move it into a another life instead of landfilling it? So, uh, you know, BDC has a hub and they do job training there and they take hard to recycle items like styrofoam, tires, and they recycle them. Uh, they, got, they received a grant for a de- dehumidifier and they take the styrofoam and it just takes it, dehumidifies it, and it becomes like this, it's almost like a base molding or crown molding or picture frame type of material, and they have an end user to sell it. So it's like circularity. A product stays in the life cycle. It's never landfill. So uh, we've been working to connect them with various partners that have that type of material. And so through that process, we, uh, we were invited to apply for a grant with Republic Services. And, you know, Republic Services manages the recycling MRF or materials recovery facility where all the recyclables go. They also manage the landfill. Uh, we made a connection between Republic and BDC because uh, BDC was recycling mattresses. And so Republic doesn't want mattresses in the landfill. They're bulky. They, you know, it's a problem. So through that, that partnership, they're able to now, instead of mattresses going to the landfill, they put out a, a container for people to put them in there and they go to BDC and BDC d- does the recycling of those. So sort of through all this work, we were invited to apply for a grant. So we, what if we did a, we're a comprehensive kind of waste management strategy uh, with partners that are already exist, already exist in Binghampton? And so that grant was awarded. Uh, I think Andy got more equipment for uh, the project they're doing with the city of Memphis. They're recycling all the old street lights because they're replacing them with LED. And what we're doing, we'll use Literati to work with the community and get a baseline sort of look at our litter snapshot in the area. And the idea is, you know, Andy's group will be targeting hard to recycle items or things that tend to be dumped like mattresses, tires, other things like that. We'll work with the community and some existing partners there uh, to build out a waste reduction and litter abatement strategy with the community more broadly on other items. Our education team is going to be focused. They're already doing programming and have been educational programming in the three schools. So we'll continue to do that and sort of make that a little bit more robust, uh, including uh, we have uh, second and third grade book clubs that we're doing environmentally book, environmental book clubs, really taking the lens of literacy. But uh, the book club is a series of seven books that have environmental lessons, and several of them are relevant to waste reduction and litter. So they'll do that. We're going to build a couple of outdoor classrooms there to connect kids in nature. So the whole project, though, is really about building a more comprehensive strategy around waste reduction and litter abatement in one area with a lot of concentrated resources. Well, it does sound like it's fairly resource intensive. Do you see that as something that... um ultimately you would want to replicate or would it be something that would be sort of a model if others wanted to replicate it? I think we, that what's, what I see is that other CDCs are sort of, there's another, at least one other CDC trying to start a, uh, or to host a, um, 
a drop-off location for materials. And I think they're connecting with BDC about where those materials could go to be recycled. So I think the the transformation of those materials could still be handled at B, BDC, even if we replicate this to other areas. I think it's the, the idea is how do we take concentrated education, engagement, and data and help create a strategy that is impactful. That can be replicated. I think you're only going to have two to three centers that are going to take hard to recycle items like BDC. So, and and the outdoor classroom, is that something that's a permanent structure or is that something that moves around and where will it be? Um, we have three schools in Binghampton that we work with. One of them does not need that. They have a lot of, uh, of uh, infrastructure there. So, uh, at Leicester, and uh, there's a Compass School over there that will be doing um, outdoor classroom, and it would be a permanent structure. Okay. So there's just something about getting kids in nature, even if they're not nature lovers, but a way to get them outdoors and that sort of connection uh, that really helps, uh, we think, long term and um, inspiring sort of stewardship. And you'll provide, Clean Methods will provide education there on an ongoing basis Mm -hmm. in those locations. Yeah. And we have been in two of those schools already. So, yeah. Okay. The, yeah, I think I downloaded the Literati app when you first told me about it. And then, you know, I documented some trash I was picking up and then I forgot about it. I need, I need, (laughs) I need to move it to my home screen. So. (laughs) Yes. Do and you know what's interesting about that is we we when we first purchased the license it was during the pandemic it was the latter part of 2020 when a, we have a lot of corporate partners that want to do projects and they couldn't do them then because they couldn't gather and so with that we can create a challenge that anyone can participate in and it can just be them going out to their local park or in their neighborhood with their family but they can still be part of a group challenge of sorts. So it really worked well for us. Yeah, uh, that's a great idea. You could challenge a team, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. pit human resources against marketing and say whoever can get, you know, pick up more or pick up and document more trash in this weekend gets an extra comp day or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what we did. We gave away Project Green for gift cards and we had companies that had internal uh, competitions. So it's, it really is an effective tool in engagement and gamification of litter pickup. Well, also, that would appeal to people that don't, that pick up litter, but don't necessarily want to get, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I've never participated in community cleanups because I have many times, but I'm more inclined just to pick up litter um, around. Yeah. Well, you know I, I think most organizations that that put together and host large scale cleanups would prefer everybody to just go out and pick up litter. It's a lot of effort to organize those big projects. But if you think, you know, if you had a quarter of the population doing routine litter pickup in their community, you would probably have it taken care of. That's true. Although, you know, as you mentioned, you, you know, those there are those hot spots, you know, the, the vacant yeah. lot where the you know, the, the litter is ankle deep. Um, and you know, that needs strength in numbers really comes into play there because people aren't going to tackle it on their own. Most likely. Oh, not. Yeah. You would, you need stamina and people. Definitely. For sure. So, um, so if people want to get involved in addressing, um, you know, addressing this issue, uh, how do you recommend that they connect in with people that can help them do that? 
Sure. Well, the, you know, we would love to, if you go to our website at cleanmemphis.org, you can sign up to be on our newsletter list and find out whenever we're doing projects. Uh, if you're interested in hosting Community Cleanup, then JP on our team has a wonderful toolkit, coaches you, helps you with logistics, connects you with Memphis City Beautiful for supplies, all of that kind of thing. You know, if you're involved with the school, uh, reaching out to us and having our education team provide resources to the, an education at the school would be great. And then if you're really interested in waste reduction, um, how you as a community can come together and learn more about how to reduce waste, how to improve your recycling participation, reduce contamination. We're also helping the city uh, launch and adopt a storm drain campaign. So you keep those clean and clear. All of those things Then, if you reach out to us, we do a lot of either virtual classes or we can come and do classes with your community specifically. Uh, and we're really trying to lean into that area because I think that education and awareness can go a long way. We, we have a lot of people that reach out and are like, can you do you have anything about not blowing your grass clippings in the storm drain? Because I see people doing it. So there's just even not large litter issues, just basic. How do you maintain your community? Um, those are the type of things we're looking at, including food waste and composting. So we can really give you a lot of rich information and training and all of the, all the waste related, uh, areas. Okay. That's good to know. So final words, what do you, what, what do you want people to know about tackling litter? You know, I want us to hold, I want us to hold government accountable for keeping, you know, public space is clean, for sure. But I also want us to realize that litter really is a people problem. Whether it's negligent or intentional, it still comes out of something we are not doing or something we shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, working to first and foremost, keep your own little piece of the earth clean, influencing everyone in your sphere to do the same, and then looking at how you can plug in with your local park or your community to take some of the responsibility. And, and there's so many people who do this all the time that I would be preaching to the choir. But, uh, you know, calling a litter pickup into 311 when it could be a community cleanup project is, is a better solution. I, they get over 300,000 calls annually for things. And so how do we as a community come together around this issue is, I think, important. And, and we need to own that as much as we can as individuals uh, and then consequently hold city government and county government and state responsible for the public spaces that they need to maintain. Okay. That's, yeah, I, you're making a lot of sense. I mean, um, there's a role for government, but, um, but they can't do everything and it's not their job to do everything. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. So I've been talking to Janet Boscarino, who's the founder executive director of Clean Memphis. We've been talking about litter and all the different impacts, strategies that can be used to address it. And Janet, it's been very illuminating. And I appreciate you coming on Memphis Metropolis. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Emily. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. 
You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.